Welcome to episode three of the slide area. I'm your host, Ed Pedersen. We talk about all things slide guitar. This episode will be featuring Leroy Parnell. Leroy shot to fame in the 90s with 20 hit singles in the country market. He brought slide guitar back to country music and has played on number one hits for other people, such as Mary Chapin Carpenter's Shut Up and Kiss Me. He's also written songs for other country artists like Pirates of the Mississippi and Colin Ray. And he meant an awful lot to me early in my career coming up for his fusion of not just country and rock, but slide guitar and bringing it back to country music. So sit back and enjoy this week's episode with Leroy Parnell. I really appreciate you uh, talking to me, Leroy. This is really, this is really an honor because uh, I've been, you know, when I first started my career as a musician and got signed to my first deal, it was right when you guys were like really hitting it and changing the business down here. And, you know, and it was a, it was a model for us, you know, because we were <clears throat> we were northerners playing southern music, and yeah. and you know, but you guys had a good deal, you know. You were rocking, but you had soul, and you know, it was also the blues going on. I mean, it was everything we were about. So it was, you know, this is a big deal. It was for a interesting time. It was uh, when I first got. In Nashville, I thought, as a writer, I felt like I probably had a career, um, but I wasn't sure about the other part of it, not coming out of here, because back then, things were so, uh, they were divided between uh, Los Angeles, New York, and Nashville, and uh, of course, there were all these, you know, these little uh, communities or uh, communities I shouldn't say little uh, communities that really helped uh, the people develop such awesome which is where I came from and I, I was really lucky not to grow up in the eye of the industry and we had enough things going on in Austin that you really did have to be on your toes um, and there was an audience for you if you if you worked at it. Um, there was a, it was a good place to make mistakes and figure out who you is and who you ain't, which is really what being an artist is about. Knowing who you are and who you are not. Uh, yeah. That takes some time to figure that out, you know. Well, and so by the time I got here, I kind of knew. I hadn't fully developed. I know that first album, I'll go back and listen to the first album. I, I could see the seed, but it, ha- it wasn't yet, it was just a bud. It was nothing more than that. By the time the second album came around, I started getting, I started, I started getting hit on all cylinders. Not completely, but, but pretty, Pretty much, I found out what my, you know, especially we're talking about flag guitar. Um, there were, there were, uh, I had to make some traction in my playing in order to arrive at being myself. Did and I could, if you like me, I can tell you how that worked. I mean, please. Um, well, I mean, I just, I just absolutely flat out adored Dwayne Allman and Vicky Butt. Um, those guys, they were doing everything that I wanted to do. They were playing blues, they were playing jazz, they were playing rock and roll, and they were playing country. And they were doing it all at the same time. I mean, there was something, there was an element of, of all of those music uh, Maybe not on every time, but during the evening, you're going to hear all those things come through. So it was just right in my wheelhouse. Right. I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, 
divide. There was no dividing line for me as a musician between those musics. I, I love them all. And I really didn't understand why we had not had to be one or the other. You know, right. it had to leave all the rest up behind to become one. So I wasn't really sure how Nashville was going to work for me as a recording artist because until that time, really nobody had done quite what we were getting ready to do. And um, because I, I, especially in fly guitar, and we were talking about fly guitar, um, I remember the first time, I'd been playing guitar about two years, I guess, but I was about 12, I guess. Uh, I was a drummer prior to that, and um, I picked up guitar because guitar player was closer to the front of the stage where the girls were, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> and then I got the buzz for it, you know, and I couldn't put the damn thing down. Um, and we were riding around, and I looked at Cedarville, Texas, just a small Texas town, and riding around with some other fellows who had musical aspirations, and uh, somebody put in uh, the Allen Brothers band, and I went out, I never will forget what I said, I said, wait, what is that? And I said, well, it's the Allen Brothers. Well, no, not, that's not what I mean. What is that guy doing right there? Yeah, and it was Dwayne. He was playing slides. Right. And it was the most slack guitar we had. I know. Well, that's what I have to do. Because it had so much emotion. It had, it sounded Sometimes it's not like a woman's voice. Sometimes it's kind of like a little walk of shock. Sometimes it's kind of like a violin. I mean, it just, it was just, it was emotion packed and, and I, I just, I, could, I couldn't shuck it. So I went about my business about, um, uh, trying to play spy guitar. And about that time I had, I had a little SG, a little one pickup SG. So by that time, I had gotten some pictures of the Allman Brothers, and I realized that they were playing Les Pauls, and of course I had to have one. So I found one in the Fort Worth paper. Actually, I found two. One was a 68, I think, you know, the reissue of the 56 model. Yeah. With the P90s and, and, and with the, with, with the cinematic bridge. And, uh, and then the, he had one that was indeed a picture. And I asked the guy, I said, uh, how, well, how much do you want for me? And he said, uh, well, I have to have like 350 for either one of them, you know. And all I have was $300. And he, I said, well, I, you know, all I've got is $300. I mean, I was 15. Hmm. And he said, uh, well, the new one, I gotta have 354. I gotta have 354 the new one. So I could tell you the older one for 300. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up with her. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the only guitar I owned when I was 30 years old. Wow. And it looks like it too. Wow, you still play it? Uh, it's with a friend right now. I, 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 I retired her from the road, uh, probably not forever, but, uh, I, you know, she, uh, was flying as much as we do, having to deal with the hassle of bringing her on board. Yeah. Just having a reissue 57, this is before I got my signature uh, gold pop done. But those guitars, you know, I could replace. Uh, I didn't want to, but I could replace those. Uh, uh, old Goldie, I couldn't replace her. I mean, not, sure. not in a million years. Right. So on goes this, 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 uh, this, this path 
Jack didn't tell me that. Yeah, well, he probably said that. <laughs> well, you know, he might have mentioned something about it when I interviewed him, but um, maybe he, you know, spit with you. It's funny because you know, with you at the Allman Brothers influence, and then he got to play with the Allman Brothers. It's kind of funny, right? It is. Uh, he earned it. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he. Uh, I, Jack was. By that time, you know, by the time I was 21, I was spending more time on the phone trying to book gigs than I was trying to get better at guitar. But Jack stayed in the bedroom and plays guitar all the time. Just, I mean, all the time. And he just got better and better and better and better. And to this, to this day, I, I, will, I will tell you, I don't think that there's a better guitar player alive in the world today than Jack Pearson. Yeah. I mean, you two in the same band, that must have been insane. for their split because that's kind of normal And then that led me back to, well, they had to learn it from somewhere. 
and eventually, you know, you go back and, and you find Elmore James and then you go back, well, where, where did Elmore run from? And then, and then you run into Robert Johnson and Charlie Patton and find out and it was just like, oh my gosh, where is this, you know, this, this, this is it. This is the wellspring. I found it, you know, and I just bathed in that wellspring for years and still do. Um, when I need a reminder of who I am and what I'm doing, uh, all I gotta do is go back just a little ways and only for a minute, uh, and I'm right back where I need to be. But, um, I started thinking, you know, nobody remembered the second guy that flew across the Atlantic. We only think about Lindbergh, right? Right. So I just, I thought, man, I need to change up my game because I don't sound like me, I sound like the thing. And we don't need another one, we've already had one. Right. He's the best at what he does is ever going to be. So, so I started really searching for my own tone and I I moved from playing, I just stopped playing the style together. I stopped playing my Marshall. I had an old fluffy Marshall. I stopped playing that. I started playing the Fender guitar, Fender amp, fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, playing an open A, playing an open G, and just avoiding anything I could to keep from quoting the line all the time. And eventually it broke through. Um, and as you know, I played scraps for years once I got signed to Arista. Right. It was sort of funny look, looking at it now. I was probably as, as uh, known for playing scraps back then as I am for known for playing left off today. Um, uh, and and I through that exercise of Finding these songs, uh, like on the road, writing songs that would allow me to, with a suit, playing a strap to a center place, which essentially is a 50 watt marshal with 6 all 6s Uh, but it had a different timbre to it. Uh, where I found playbook for me. And it, I've stuck with that for many years, uh, and eventually Gibson came calling and uh, said, "We, we, we want you back. We want, we want the uh, left call in your hands, and, and we're going to help you in every way we can to make that work for you." And um, and I thought, you know what? It's, it's probably a time to go home. Time to go home to the Gibson. So. I swapped over, went back to the left pile, and lo and behold, I still sounded like me. <laughs> I didn't. I'm not going anymore. <laughs> so it was okay. And I, you know, I loved the science so much, but I didn't care to quote, I didn't care to repeat it. And I don't need to, you know, I needed to. And, and eventually, you know, when you find your own voice, and I, I listened to Jimmy Vine talk the other day, and I, it was a, just a little snippet of a show, um, and he was talking about how he had found his, how he found his sound, you know? And he said, you know, it's sort of like, he said, you, you have this sound in your head, and you go through all these metamorphoses to get, to find that sound and to be able to, you know, I mean, because Jimmy could play, Dallas Fort Worth was full of great guitar players back then. I mean, great guitar players. And in the beginning, Jimmy was like, he could play faster. I mean, the deal was, if you could play Jeff, Jeff's movie, Jeff's that, Jeff that song, Jeff's movie, and you could play precisely and you could play it faster than anybody else and you want. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I remember seeing Jimmy do that. I mean, it just like me see. Um, and then when the T-Birds came along, he was, he was playing very simply, very clean, 
in a direction. And eventually he ended up in this place where he is right now where he sounds like Jimmy Vaughn. Nobody else sounds like that. And it took him a lot of years to get there. So it's a, it's a lifelong, it's a, it's a lifelong journey to get to where we're going, you know. Yeah. Which is probably what keeps it interesting. Well, that, that's, that's one of the things I was going to ask you is that, so, when you when you had that little revelation when that finger picker guy showed you you know open tuning and like how how and and, I, and you know of course being in a band with Jack Pearson <laughs> you know how long and with Jack practicing all the time how long did, how how many like hours a day did you start putting into doing the open tunings and perfecting that to get where you were happy. Um, well, you know, throughout the, my high school years, I certainly was, it was constant. Literally, my guitar laid on my bed. I fell asleep with my guitar in my hand. Rarely did I go to school. I acted like I was going to school. I strapped my guitar on the back of my motorcycle. I did goodbye to my mother each morning. <laughs> and I would go to a flop house with some buddies and musicians that slept all day that was supposed to be going to college and I would just sit up and play guitar all day long. I think Jack told me it takes what, 10,000 hours? Yeah. To to, 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 to actually get something done and I probably got those in then but then there was another metamorphosis when I was trying to find my own sound and that because I was busy writing songs then. I had a publishing deal here. And I was playing. Then, then it all became part of the sound, you know. Uh, I think when I was recording uh, on the road, I think it really got evident to me uh, what, what it was I was doing. It was my voice. And I think that was, I can't remember, I think whether that mercy had been the second album, I think on the road thing in the third album. So, gosh, you know what? I started 34 years old by then. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Now, so, um, you know, this is a, a something that's always fascinated me. So, how about the action? Like, did you, it doesn't sound to me like maybe you raised it, right? Were you using, like, did you start using open tunings with regular guitar action or did you raise it up? In the beginning, it was open tunings with regular action because I only had one guitar. Right. And I used 10s or 11s. 11s were more comfortable and 10s were more comfortable. And I played eleven for a long time, but um, eventually uh, it was that uh, thing that Billy Gibbons talked about when Doobie King, you know, saw him playing with big strings and told him, "Why are you working so hard to do that?" He goes, "Well, I always thought you guys we were trying to sound like you guys. We all thought y'all played with these big manly strings. Well, not since." They came out with an unwound G. We didn't, you know. <laughs> and you can tell in B's plan, you know, which that changed. That changed. Well, some of the cap got optimist, but uh, that changed somewhere in '63, something like that, the B. And he, they got hit. They started using banjo strings, you know. Right. To get to bend those strings and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, I did. And as, as I got older and I could afford a couple of extra guitars on the road, then the action stayed the same, but the strings got heavier. Um, substantially heavier. Because um, I was pretty busy up there, you know, singing and... Right. And, and, and uh, you, you didn't have a lot of time to... Like, okay, I gotta remember now to pull back and, and, and get concentrated on it. I just needed to hit it. I needed to hit it five times to get out of it. Right, right, right. That makes total sense. 
And um, you're 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 a you're a, a glass slide guy. I am. Right, and you've always yeah. been, right? I have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I never could get a. I never could get a. The sound. Yeah, I was comfortable with 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 metal in my hands. Although some guys be great with it. You know, I just don't. Yeah. I mean, little George certainly didn't have a problem with a crashing socket wrench. Yeah. Which is weird, too, because, you know, like, <clears throat> it, I, I kind of understand the craftsman socket wrench because, A, it's easy to get. Um, and, but, you know, it's so top heavy, right? Have you ever tried it? I tried it one time. I didn't know how he did it. It's, I mean, because he was so accurate. You know, I'm watching all these films. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how he did it, man, because I mean I can do you know, I, I bought a couple and I even had the one or both of them eventually cut down so that I could bend uh you know at the at the joint on my pinky. Yeah. And <clears throat> get the higher notes up the neck. And but it's still, you know, it's it for him to be as accurate as he was with that much heft. Fascinating. Yeah, he had uh, pretty yeah, he was incredibly smooth. I, I think Lowell was using pretty heavy gauge strings, and I think he was using I think he was using flat laps too. By the way, so does Rye. Yeah, and I get it. If I could afford to do it, I would too. There's being sometimes the only guitar player in my band. Sometimes I'm not, um, but I I have to get that. I have to get what well, I Now, I'll tell you what I have that's done, uh, and it worked out just fine, and the, the half mounts, you know. Ah. Uh, Diodario makes a round slide or something. I don't know what they call it. Um, but it's, uh, it's a round, it's a, it's a round round that's, that's you know, uh, I don't have to nut it down or something to where it's almost flat, but it, it's not a flat one. A flat one is just, I mean, there's nothing to sound like a flat one. If you could, you know, if I could, I'm trying to think, you know, my guess is probably Elmo was using flat one, just about everybody was. Um, but, you know, that, and, you know, the rye uses all kinds of concoctions that most folks wouldn't, wouldn't even dream of messing with to get what he has to go through to get it. And it, well, obviously it pays off. I mean, I've seen rye in a bunch of different situations, most recently through, with, uh, with Ricky Skaggs and the Whites. Uh, which I did not, I did not know what to think about. Oh, before I got there, I wasn't going to miss it at the Ryman. And I thought, well, how's this going to work? You know? And I assure you, it did. I know. I saw, <laughs> I had, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I had the same reaction going in. I was like, man, I don't know about this. You know, and not that I love Ricky and I love the whites, you know, yeah. and, but, but, you know, I wanted to see Rye cause you know, I'm a slide player and, 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 you know, but I was like, man, I don't know. And I went in there and I was like, okay, I'm, I, you, you, you can stop preaching now. I, I get it. You know, it was like, it really, uh -huh. it really blew my mind, especially the song. I mean, you know, you were there. The song choices, you know. Yeah. Um. And and. I don't think there was a song that was played on that line that was written on fifty-five. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when, you, when you look at it, it's perfect to write. You know, I mean, he loved that stuff, and he loved real <laughs> country music. He loves real gospel music. He loved anything that's real. Uh, and would I have loved to hear him sing more slides? Well, I can always hear more of that. But what he did with them, you know, his humor, 
which is only Brock can do. I mean, he, 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 his, his bubble is, Plum is a little different variety than it is for anybody else. Right. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I love him so much, is because he's always had this, this immense sense of humor mixed in with this, this incredibly, supremely, uh, intense musicianship. Uh, but never took it seriously that he couldn't put a sideways joke in on you. And, and of course, I got them all. I was just like, oh, <laughs> this is so great. And then seeing Bates with us, It was it was amazing, and you know, yeah. But like you said, there's that's the other thing I've learned in 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 doing these interviews is that Rye does things that I don't know if they'd make sense for anybody else. I mean, honestly, and, and this is with the greatest respect, you know, because like you, that's what got me into this. Um, him and Lowell and. And you and a bunch of other guys, but <clears throat> I just, you know, everybody talks about, I still haven't talked to Rye because he doesn't have a dang website. <laughs> you know? <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've talked to dozens of people. We have a do literally dozens of mutual friends who like, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'll put in a word, but like, I don't even have his phone number and I work with him, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but yeah. You, but you know um but you know that one of the things i love about you know you always get that warm sound out of your les pauls and even when you were playing the, the strats you know because i guess for for, for for most intents and purposes i'm playing strats one of them's a modified like cooter caster you know the other ones yeah. the other one's kind of set up like sunny's um, but you know, you got a really warm sound out of those and man, the, the Les Paul, you know, you on the Les Paul, it's like that, those two things were made for each other. Um, are you, you, are you playing on the front pickup or both or how, how is that working for you? Very rarely do I play on, on the neck pickup. Oh, really? Very rarely. And that, um, it's sort of a misnomer about the line too because people always, a lot of the cats that came after him were playing slide, they'll play pretty much solely on the next pickup. And if you listen, if you listen to Phil Maurice, then, you know, that's how I arrived in my sound and was approximating his, which I still use, and that is, uh, my, uh, I, I, most often time, uh, I'm in the middle, and, uh, both pickups, uh, treble pickups, wide open, and the tone on about five, next pickup on about eight, and the tone wide open. Right. Now that almost sounds like a treble pickup but not quite. And you can roll in a little of that. I mean, if it gets completely in the middle, it, to me, it sounds like chat. That's not what chat to me. Right. And I can't make, I can't get anything sustained that way. I can't, I don't know what it is, but I can't. It doesn't work for me. Right. Right. But that's how, I mean, very simple. You got to try to
figured out who's really the audience not noticing the difference. But I feel the difference. So it just, and the other thing for me, you know, which Ryan Ellis and I worked feverishly for eight months designing these pickups that went into my signature guitar. And something I learned from Mike Henderson was let the amp do the work. Because the pickups we arrived at uh, were significantly less powerful than just than even a 57 type humbucker. I mean, it's neither one of them are over 7.5, and generally speaking, we're talking the high 50 in the uh, in, in the next pickup. And they're wound in such a way that they sound. And what happens is that the the you get a pickup too hot, and you can't hear the wood in the guitar. Uh. It's too it's too powerful. All you hear is the string. Hell, you might as well be playing out a love. Does that matter? It doesn't matter. Right. So we. We did a couple of things with my signature. We we raised the the, the speed that you know where the pickups are where they're cut out of the guitar. It's, there's always been like a, about a half an inch between where the pickup uh, the bottom of the pickup is and the and the and the mahogany. Uh, they never meet, and I'm not sure that you would want them to meet, but we changed that right radius quite a lot. We brought the wood up, and, uh, so I mean, not get a butter knife between the bottom of that pickup and, and, and the mahogany, but not much more than that. Oh, interesting. Therefore, there's just, there's just, uh, there's a tonality that not only are you grabbing the, the maple top, but you're actually getting the resonance of the uh, of mahogany as well. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> well, it worked for me. <laughs> and are you still using the basement or something like it? Yeah. I'm sort of, you know, I never quit running around with it, you know, I've never quit the tone quest. I mean, I have old 50 watt Marshall heads and I never tend, I mean, if I've got a really good basin, yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll do, that'll do the trick. But oftentimes what I'll do is I'll, I'll set a 50 watt Marshall head on a, on a basin cabinet with four tens and it open back. That tends to be what I like with very inefficient speakers. I mean, like, they're sweating and getting ready to blow at any minute. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you can literally look at the, the glue, the dough coming inside, just, just give it away. Like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you? How about any other effects besides the uh, the FET, the MOSFET booster thing? I like delay. I like the, I like a little bit of delay, uh, judiciously applied, uh, and not to have a, a little bit go. I mean, a reverb, and I mean just a scotch. I mean, not much. Not where you can hear it. Before you you feel it, you know. Gotcha. Occasionally, occasionally, uh, I'll put on, uh, I'll kick on a compressor, um, depending on if I want that, if I want that particular sound, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I kick on a compressor, but I don't like what it does to the bass strength. It, it, 
it, it catches the bass string in a funky way that I, I'm not, I wish, I mean, if they made, if anybody made a, a, a multi-band compressor that, that you could put on the floor, but the only one I've ever come across was a tube pack, which is about five grand. Yep. And I, I had one here in my studio for a long time, and I was just not compressed anything below 500 hertz and barely compressed anything up to 1K, and then I would go ahead and compress above 1K. But, I mean, that's a lot to have to go through to play a hard track, you know? Yeah, and, you know, the I'm... I'm I've I've gone back and forth, up and down and around on compressors because I'm kind of I feel the same way that you do. But you know, and I think you know I don't want to be derogatory, but I think some people don't understand what they do um, yeah. <clears throat> because they're just throwing them on there, thinking about the sustain, and <clears throat> because Lowell had two eleven seventy sixes in C in in in, in series and. But, you know, he also did that in the studio and there could have been like when I listen to those recordings and I've, I've had this discussion with multiple people, uh, it, it doesn't sound to me like they were slamming the hell out of it or that they were hitting the entire frequency range. Yeah. It just doesn't sound that way to me. I got to trust my ears on it. And, um, you know, sure, I like the little squeal he got and the sheen with it, but, it, but right, you know, and I, and what, so what I did was I tried, um, uh, the, the thing I've kind of compromised on is that at least some of these companies have come out with, uh, you know, compressors with clean blend in it, you know, um, you know, so you can put some, um, parallel compression, right? So you can do a 50 50, you know, thing where, it's only, you know, it's a, it's a half blend of, of the compression into the signal and you still got 50% clean in there. Um, kind of like that, but again, you know, it's not multiband. Yeah. So yeah. it's frustrating, you know. Uh, I bet. Good way to go though. Man, if someone would come out with even, I mean, it doesn't have to be a little pedal, you know, it, it could be. You know, a three pedal size, you know, footprint or something, you know, because I mean, we, the Klon is not a small size pedal. Um, so I bet you that would be pretty popular. Someone should really think about that, you know, because, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, because yeah. I tell you, the, guy, the guys I have the conversation with the most about compression are slide players. You know, um, hey, uh, it's a, it's a hard, that's a hard, you know, I don't know, you know, like Sonny uses it, uh, in such a way that it is part of his sound. Um, and, uh, I think, um, and he does an incredibly great job at it. I mean, I'm, I'm most certainly a fan of Sonny's, uh, you know, any, as a matter of fact, I'm pretty much a fan of anybody who can play play guitar at all. Me too. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a daunting task. <laughs> well, but everybody has such a different style. I mean, I can, I, you know, th this ain't bragging. I can listen to a recording with my eyes closed and know who it is, you know, uh, because almost every slide guy, gal, whoever that's, you know, kind of carved the little uh, voice or, or, you know, personality for themselves in this business, they it it doesn't sound the same, you know? Yeah. I don't think yeah. anybody who's worth their salt sounds exactly like somebody else. No. It's kind of a beautiful thing, no? Yeah, I think so, too. You know, it's like Bonnie, you know, immediately, uh, Bonnie, that's Monty Ray. Yeah. And she's got her own way of doing things, and it's, it's very pleasing to buy her. I, 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 I just, you know, I think she's, um, 
found her, I think she's found a, a, a tone too that I think she's probably, well, I mean, I know she's worked on, I know she's worked on it. We've, we've talked about it before. Um, um, and as of late, I have seen her playing, uh, Bad Cat amplifiers, and I'm not sure which one he's playing through, but, I've actually been using a massless uh, from time to time, but it's the L34. You know, it's not 84. It's like like what they eventually really were known for. But I do like that EF86 in the in the front instead of a 12x7. It's good to have both if you can have a choice. But the EF86 is so touch sensitive. I mean, they're not very stable, but man. You know, again, it's like my whole rig is just like it's all getting ready to blow at any minute, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just like you just better have another one. That's all I can I love it, man. That's fantastic. Um, uh, one more question, um, yes, if I may. Um, so... You know, yeah, so you got to, just to get back to you when you first got turned on to open tuning and, you know, um, and you were practicing a lot on your own in the flop house and whatnot and obviously playing gigs too. I mean, there's nothing like getting into the fire like that. Did, was there anybody that, um, <clears throat> like, did you get any lessons at all or was it all just picking it up off of records? sense, man. strive for but you know that tension and release when you're playing especially slide i mean you've got no more control over an audience than with that inch you know with that approach and that 
instrument in your hand with that with that with that glass, you know. That's so true. You know, um, that is that um, they'll react. You know, if you're doing it right, they'll react. You know, uh, and BB did the same thing with when he uh, without a slide, he could. The way he was squeezing that up, and 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 the way Albert, the way Albert would play, you talk about relief, it's tension. It's like you know you'll be playing like Born Under Bad Times, which is in a minor key, but he's gonna pull it up to almost a major third, not quite, not quite. But almost, and it just makes you want to just, you just bust him in the scene. You're going, come on, man. Let me up off this mat, and then he'll let you up. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like hearing it as you're talking about it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. It's <laughs> all squirrely, man. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Leroy. I really appreciate it. This really oh, was. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Man, uh, you know. Let me know if there's anything else you need. And uh, thank you for doing this book on sly guitar. I'm honest. I'm, I'm really honestly uh, uh, thrilled that, that you allowed me to be a part of it. And, uh, and I, I, hope it's a, I hope it's a big hit for you. Thanks, uh, man. I, I had to have you in it, you know. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that was Leroy Parnell on episode three of The Slide Area. Uh, coming up in the forthcoming weeks, we have people like Sonny Landreth and VM Bott, who I've just interviewed, and uh, Jack Pearson. You, talk, you heard uh, Leroy talk about Jack Pearson. They grew up together, both fantastic slide players. You, you can imagine them in the same band. Um, I'm not going to tell you who's coming up, though. I'm going to keep that a secret from now on. Hopefully, you'll stick with me and tune in again. I really appreciate you uh, tuning in this time. And if you've heard the previous two episodes, I can't thank you enough. And I hope you'll come back for episodes four and on of the slide area. This is your host, Ed Pedersen, signing off. Until next time, take care and thanks a lot.